This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by DS Beverages, your Anheuser-Busch distributor in Paul Bunyan Country, Ace on the Lake of Bemidji, Bonded Lock and Key, your home for liberty safes in Paul Bunyan Country, Pepsi Nye Bottling, Timberline Sport and Convenience in Black Duck and Clearbrook Electric. Theoretically, cross-country skiing is a very popular activity in Paul Bunyan Country. Theoretically, there's snow in Paul Bunyan Country in December. When the reality of snow hits, the cross-country skiers will hit the trail. We will be talking cross-country skiing, about the trails, and about Bemidji Cross-Country Ski Club with Dr. Muriel Gilman and Annette Drews later on in the show. But first up, deer hunting is over. At least firearm season is. Checking back in with our good friend from the Northwest Regional DNR office here in Bemidji, uh, John Williams. He is the regional wildlife manager, and uh, we're we're done with the the big part of deer season. It's not completely done, but of course that that rifle season, John is uh, or firearm season is really the biggie when it comes to deer hunting, and that is all uh, past us now. From what you've seen and heard so far, how was deer hunting in Minnesota this year? Well, it's uh, it, it's pretty interesting. You know, uh, I would have to say that at least in terms of the firearm deer season, as you mentioned, which is which is ended now, we we're still in muzzleloader season, and of course, archery uh, will go until December thirty first. So we have still people out trying to get their deer. Um, in terms of just the firearm season alone, though, uh, I, I would say we started off pretty rough. The um, the weather wasn't the best for us. We had strong winds in many of the portions of the state, in particular northwest, I'm, I'm aware of, uh, as I was out in the, the deer stand watching the leaves blow by. Um, but uh, that pretty much makes deer less mobile. They don't like to move when they can't use their hearing to aid them in, in uh, their daily work. And I think deer kind of uh, basically settled down. So the first couple few days of firearms deer season, we were seeing about a 21% decline in harvest over those first two to three days. And that really has traditionally, if you don't do well for that first opening part of deer season, it's rare that you can make up that um, uh, loss of deer harvest from that time. So with that in mind, you know, we were thinking, boy, this is going to be down for a little bit. But what we did see happen is there was a uh, uh, sort of a uh, making up some of that loss during the deer season. So if you look basically at, at the state, again, during the firearms deer season, we were up about 7% over last year. Oh. And, you know, if I bring that down just to the region, and again, the region I described goes all the way up to Manitoba, uh, down towards the Glenwood area, and then we go from the Red River to the basically east side of uh, Leech Lake. So that's a quarter of the state. Um, regionally, we were down about 3%, so basically not much more than a wash between last year and this. Now, within the region, you know, we had some places that were significantly up and some places that were significantly down. And I would have to say that, you know, some of our best deer hunting lands, which basically, if you can think of that transition area between the prairie and the forest, uh, a lot of agricultural, uh, you know, inroads in that area, it's just ideal for deer. We did see sort of a, a, a decline in some of those areas, and we actually seen an increase in some of the forest area, uh, in particular the 105, and then to the southeast or southwest of the region, that also was up as well. So, in a nutshell, that's kind of where things are at. If you look, let's say at the Bemidji area around that, that's that area again. We can kind of classify within that transition zone, even though we're more forest and, that, and like that. We did see that being a decline uh, to a to a degree, so I'm not sure locally how hunters would describe it, but that's what I'm seeing in terms of harvest numbers. And it seems again slow start that it it's more of a harvest issue than a population issue. It seems that way, Kevin, because we certainly have uh, our field staff and modeling and everything else show us that we've got the deer out there, and I I think that largely it's just a factor of of the weather for the most part. But there are some other factors, I think we mentioned this maybe our, our last time we talked, that I'm sure are beginning to impact, you know, the way uh, deer are hunted and, and the harvest that we are seeing from them as well. You know, our average age of a hunter is getting up there in that uh, upper 40s, lower 50s range, the average age. And, you know, it's about that 60 to 65 range that sometimes, uh, you know, hunters are putting the, the, the gun on the wall um, for their uh, for their thoughts on, on deer hunting. But... Um, um, with that in mind, there are different ways people are hunting deer. At least I can say this from the far northwest, 
that had a great tradition of hunters driving deer. They would get out, there would be a number of people in a party, they'd put posts out, and then they would, you know, a bunch of hunters would walk through the woods and flush deer up and, and uh, harvest them that way. I think mostly what we're seeing today is uh, those areas are now gone to what we call stand hunting, or people, you know, putting a stand up or sitting in one place waiting for a deer to come by. And so there's no uh, movement uh, of the deer just because people are moving around. So you combine that with the winds and the propensity to deer to kind of bed down during those conditions, I think that impacted greatly our opener. Okay. You mentioned um, the the aging of the hunter. Um, did we see any uptick in licenses this year like we did with fishing because of COVID and a lot of other activities not competing? We did not. Okay. Um, and that's uh, – uh, I got two thoughts on that. One, either – Either the the condition of COVID and deer hunting and hunting camps, you know, uh, maybe people weren't uh, gathering like they normally would, ergo maybe not as much interest. Um, Our license sales were basically flat year to year, last year to this year. So either either there was some some reason that that people weren't um, as excited about deer hunting as maybe they would be otherwise, or this is another thought that I've had, is that maybe deer hunting is one of those things that is so important that things um, like COVID and stuff like that, uh, or even previously, it's a high enough priority that there simply is people are going to go turning regardless. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would hope to think that would be the case, but I have nothing to base it on other than my own thoughts, I suppose. What have you heard as far as, uh, you know, things like um, uh, archery hunting and um, muzzleloader, which is going on now, any increase or change in those numbers? As far as the license sales i can't speak to that i haven't seen the figures on that but it certainly archery was up this year a little bit i've not gotten any information on the muzzleloader harvest yet which goes all the way through this coming weekend but um i'm expecting uh i know there are a number of people out um taking taking advantage of the season i'm expecting it to be somewhat up over last year that's my guess One of the things I've certainly noticed the last several years, you know, just anecdotally, as, um, you know, uh, more and more uh, fishing guides and uh, fishing shows or whatever are easily accessible on um, social media and, and things like that. Um, you hear a lot more talk of other species. You know, we, we talk so much about walleye here for years and years. Well, we've heard so much more about bass, you know, in the last five years. Uh, we've seen a lot more people, you know, at least giving it a try. And I'm just wondering if, you know, uh, with that same kind of thing, if we're going to start to see continued growth in uh, the less traditional forms of hunting, like muzzleloader and archery as we go on, as, as more and more people put videos up and talk about it, and it's easier to access information. Well, you know, um, going back, let's say, 30 years, um, muzzleloader was kind of a very special season in the state. I can remember uh, when I first came into Minnesota in 91, there were only particular areas uh, that, you know, muzzleloader were open for, for use of that uh, weapon type. Uh, you know, it's eventually now came came upon its own, with its own season, its own um, uh conditions of use and everything like that, even the you know, scopes on muzzleloaders was always a discussion point in the past. And all of that type of thing has come along. I'm seeing both archery and muzzleloading, I think, take a, a strong interest. And I would say the people who are actually participating in that become hooked in it pretty quick, mm-hmm. from what I can tell. Uh, it's just a, the fact of trying to get started in it maybe is, is some of the hesitation of it. But uh, I believe both of those are, are coming on. We did see, I would say... Oh, again, going back another 30 years, there were there were places where there was only um, uh, two deer that were allowed, one with a bow, one with, an, one with a, um, a firearm. All that has changed regulation-wise. And so what we have today is a lot more opportunity. It's more complex learning the regulations where you can and what you can and can't do and stuff like that. But the opportunity is there, and I believe we're seeing the growth in, in uh, the interest of that. Uh, to say it's a great increase from year to year i I don't say i don't think you can say that but i can say i think that the interest is still there and and uh, people are using it personally your personal uh which do you do all of them or do you do which ones do you like to do i i kind of like to do all of them (laughs) but um (laughs) the the uh, the easiest one is with my 270 so (laughs) so (laughs) 
that's the one that puts uh, meat on the table for me. Uh, generally, you know, uh, uh, you look at, at what a household normally uses for, for deer throughout the year. Our household, when the kids were home, we could go through three or four deer a year. Of course, they hunted as well. And now that it's just Deb and I, well, um, we go through about a deer, deer and a half or something like that a year. So if one of the other of us gets a deer, we're okay. And if both of us gets a deer, we get to make some special things like jerky and beef, uh, deer stick and some of that type of stuff too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's like that. I do enjoy muzzleloader hunting. Um, you know, the, uh, the interesting thing about muzzleloading hunting is so much of that you can kind of do yourself. If you want to, you know, go out and buy a muzzleloader already, uh, put together in the box and, and, you know, shootable ones, you get, get it in your hand and you have new types of ignition like 209 primers, you know, these inline muzzleloaders and, uh, powder that comes in pellets and bullets that are prepackaged and all that type of stuff. That's great. You know, that's a very effective weapon. It's a good, it's a good thing to get people interested in another hunting type. Um, for my own self, I still like to make my own bullets. Um, I enjoy uh, the old traditional ball and patch for, uh, for that using a cap ignition. I'm, I'm not in the flint, flint locks, but cap and ball sounds good to me. And it, it's just the idea that you can personally kind of craft what you want uh, in terms of your muzzle loader itself and, and how, you, how you would traditionally use it or modernly use one as well. And I think archery has many of those same features. You know, you can still use longbow if you want to, or you can get a, a very nice Matthews and a compound bow and, and have the, the latest in technology and the ability to use, use a bow. So it's really a lot of options. Um, and I think it's a lot of personal preference with people just trying to customize their form of recreation to their to their heart's content. I think you know, and and again, I I think I mentioned I I did not come from a deer hunting family. I do find it something I I definitely want to get out and try, uh, just because I have so many friends that do it. But I, if I had to choose one or the other, I think I'd like archery simply because you can get in the woods in a in a lot prettier time of season, a lot warmer time of season, and you know I'm I'm a cold weather wimp. I'll, I'll admit that. So. I think I'd like archery for that reason alone. You know, I've heard archers say that when a firearms hunter sees the deer, the hunt's over. When an archer sees the deer, the hunt's just begun. Mm-hmm. That's a new and that's you know, I think you do have to scout a little bit more because you don't take those you know hundred yard, three hundred yard shots on a deer with a bow. So uh, you do have to know your your game and how it responds and what its what its habits are a little better. I think. Okay. Well, I think we talked a little bit about some of this stuff uh, last time we had you on, John, but uh, as long as you're here, um, what about some of the other hunts in the seasons we've, we've had this fall, uh, duck, goose, uh, other fowl seasons, fall turkey, bear? How, how did all of that go this year? I think a lot of hunters think that the waterfowl season really has been a foul season this year. <laughs> uh, we, we had that early freeze up in the middle of October. Um, we really didn't have a lot of migrant waterfowl down at the time. Uh, and I think once, uh, once the season kind of got stuck in, in that freeze up period, things were just on hold and people were waiting to see if anything were going to open back up. And for the most part, I think ducks overflew us, uh, for, for, uh, for the most part, you know, people were a little disappointed in waterfowl season. I'll count myself among, among them as well. But, um, geese wise, I think maybe we, our local birds still provided quite a bit of opportunity, field feeding and stuff like that. I think went out pretty good. So, uh, waterfowl season, I, you got to give that an eh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we would have liked to have had a little better season than what we had. Okay. I do understand that uh, our pheasant hunt has been going pretty well, uh, still in, of course. And, um, um, what I've heard from the southern part of our region, you know, they've got fairly good success and, Hunters are still seeing birds as they're hunting. Pheasants are getting pretty wise right now, so they're a little harder to take and flushing further ahead of you. But uh, I think statewide pheasant season has been pretty good. Um, in terms of rough grouse, uh, the reports that I've been hearing, especially around maybe the Bemidji area is that, uh, and, and other places up north, is that it's been a good season. So I think altogether that's been, you know, uh, highlights of the season. Fall turkey hunting has still yet to really kick off and, and really uh, establish a strong hunting tradition, I think. Spring turkey hunting, on the other hand, is growing quite well. But um, fall, I, I don't see that there's been an awful lot of uh, 
uptake and interest in that, but the opportunity is surely there. And uh, a good point for that. Uh, those are our main ones that we, we talk about. Uh, you know, we do talk a little bit about elk, and we've done that in the past, mm-hmm. Kevin. Yeah. And uh, our sixth of six seasons now is in, in going on right now. It started uh, last Saturday. So this will be um, the last of the elk season that we have in the far northwest. Uh, haven't heard much about how the season is going for the folks up there, but previous five seasons, we have done exceptionally well. Harvest rates have been near 90% of uh, tags that were offered, and that's outstanding. So, um, uh, and we're talking in the neighborhood of, let me think here, first five seasons, I think we had 33 elk taken out of, I think it's 37 or something like that. And it, that's a very good harvest rate and uh, just an indication, I think, that hunters have had a pretty good success rate with that. And the the bull elk that uh, uh, we are being harvested are just, they're world class. I mean, I don't know how else you would describe it. They're just as good as any elk you'd see out west uh, and, and in many cases better, I would say. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the highlights I'm thinking of. Um, maybe one other species I can think of was prairie chicken. And uh, I do not recall exactly how um how the hunt has went in that i haven't had a chance to read that report yet but it's a it's a unique opportunity to harvest a very traditional species that for a long time remained uh you know unharvestable because there wasn't a season for them and we still issue you know over 100 permits a year it's by drawing by lottery that that you can put your name in that for that but that's more or less along the, the western edge of the region and uh, certainly an opportunity to take a more traditional species uh, that you don't get to see a lot of these days. You know, I, I just wonder if the fall turkey hunt will ever take off. I mean, there's so many things to hunt in the fall already. Uh, plus, you know, it's good fishing in the fall, and there's only so many hours in the day. Plus, you know, you got a, a spring turkey hunt. So I don't know if we'll ever see a whole lot of fall turkey hunting in our neck of the woods. Yeah, you know, Minnesota seems to have really compressed seasons compared to a lot of states, and I think that's Typical of, you know, more northern states versus the more southern states. But, you know, we basically start off in September with bear and, and uh, you know, week into the end of the month or two, we get into the uh, small game opener and archery and whatnot else. But by the time December rolls around, largely uh, those those hunting seasons are over. And, you know, we still have small some small game open, you know, rabbit and squirrel and whatnot. But, again, you don't see a lot of um, people taking advantage of that at the time. So fall turkey, um, yeah, it's competing with certainly archery season, certainly um, uh, rough grouse hunting, waterfowl season, and stuff like this. So, yeah, it may never really catch on as a, as a way to put a turkey on the table for Thanksgiving. Still to come with John Williams, we'll find out the latest on chronic wasting disease in Paul Bunyan country and the state of Minnesota. And we'll find out what's on their docket for the next several months. But up next, we are going to go ahead and presume there will be cross-country skiing at some point this winter. So we will hear from Dr. Muriel Gilman and Annette Drews of the Bemidji Cross-Country Ski Club. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Joining me now, Dr. Muriel Gilman and Annette Drews of the Bemidji Cross-Country Ski Club. Now, ostensibly, we were going to talk about ski school, but uh, obviously COVID has affected everything, including, apparently, your uh, your ski school. Correct. Good morning. This is Annette. Hi, Annette. Glad to be here. So uh, what has happened? Well, the ski school committee got together, you know, with COVID going on, and we actually came up with some alternative plans. Um, one of our big things for those who have participated obviously, is we use the middle school, and that would not be an option. Plus, we typically have over 100 people in one space. Um, So we knew we had to modify quite a bit. We were looking at some alternatives, being all outside, much, much smaller groups. Um, But with the spike in COVID right now and what the governor's put forward, um, we've decided for this year's Ski school, as we know it, is canceled. That does not mean we are not going to be offering some alternative activities as we move forward. Um, and we'd like to talk about some of those possibilities today. Okay, and uh, and we will get to that. Uh, Murr, I was just going to note that uh, 
even though um, COVID is here, like all outdoor activities, skiing is a, is a great option. Unfortunately, uh, Mother Nature is not cooperating in that venture right now. They, it is not. Although there are, there is a kind of a silver lining that because we had some calm, cold nights, area lakes are have pretty nice ice. Of course, people should check the depth of the ice before they go out, but I've spent the last couple of days ice skating up on Turtle River Lake, and today I think I'll venture out on Mobile where I live and and see if I can find a nice stretch of smooth ice. And so that's a good thing. Um, People can get out and enjoy ice skating. And on Saturday and Sunday, there were Saturday I saw... 30 people probably um, skating on Turtle River Lake, families and with their dogs, and it was really fun to see. (laughs) It's uh, people look for things to do. They want to be active. They want to get outside, and uh, they'll do what's what's given to them. And certainly you're right. The ice on probably most lakes has got to be really, really good right now. I heard that. And I don't know anything about the depth, so I'm not suggesting people <laughs> venture out very far or alone or without a life jacket and um, picks or sticks or something. But I heard the ice on Lake Bemidji, the south shore, was absolutely gorgeous. So the snow on Saturday afternoon changed things a little bit, but still should be pretty darn good. All right. Well, you were talking about, uh, uh, Annette, some other opportunities that ski school's looking at. Uh, what are some of those things? Yeah, so one of our difficulties with ski school is we often um, have equipment. I mean, there's a lot of people, even though it seems like being outside and skiing would be great at this time, it is. Uh, ski school, we have instructors, we have equipment, so there's just a lot of mix of people. So we are looking at keeping an eye on what's happening with COVID and numbers. And instead of holding registration and and then having to cancel, we're looking for some opportunities in probably later January or February where we will host some come out and try skiing, cross-country skiing. And so we would have the equipment there and there would not be formal classes but there would be people around to um, teach people the basics. And so we're going to try to encourage people through some videos on the website on beginning cross-country skiing, making it easy for people to get some of that background info for starting out and then providing equipment at later dates as we're able, as the snow and COVID allow and uh, really encourage people to come out and try it. Okay. Um, and, again, we, we kind of have to stand by for those dates at this point? Correct, which uh, brings up our Facebook site and our website. Uh, we do the Bemidji Area Cross Country Ski Club maintains both a website, and that's BemidjiCrossCountrySki.org. Okay. Um, and on that website. Go ahead. Website, we list events um, right on the main page. All right. And, and Murr, um, we do, once we get snow, we do have great opportunities for cross-country skiing here. There's a, a ton of trails, uh, some some really beautiful ones, and and I, I, my understanding is quite a variety of, uh, you know, um, difficulty or ease. Yep, we do, and... Um if I leave any out, I know Annette will, um, will, she's got a written list of the trails. But, yeah, we, we have some that are quite short and relatively flat, like the high school trail behind the high school and um, goes back to the Mississippi River. It's always a good early season trail to ski on. And the Montebello Trail or City Trail that you access at the Curling Club, and City Park, and then um, when you want to get a little more um, challenged, then you can go to places like Hobson Forest, uh, Buena Vista, Mobile Maze, of course, is very popular, and 
perhaps the most popular, although I don't know for sure. It's a toss-up between Mobile Maze and Three Island County Park. Um, Three Island has trails along the river. The river is usually open all year long. I'm sure it's open now because it's so mild. And um, the other thing about Three Island is that we have a, a multi-use trail that's been designated by the county and uh, okayed by the DNR. So people can walk on that trail, even if it's groomed for skiing. They can snowshoe. They can ride their fat tire bike. Um, I can take my dog there, and it, it uses all the trail along the river as well as an orange loop that goes up to what we call the north loop. So there's almost, um, I'd say, close to 10 kilometers of multi-use trail up there. And I did I leave any out, Annette? Um, well, Lake Bemidji oh. State Park, which we don't groom, but they opened up a multi-use trail last year. And that is the trail from the parking lot heading east on the paved trail. Um, that is multi-use. I took my dog. It's beautiful for skajoring because it's straight and relatively flat. Um, so that's a great one. And then Three Island, I think a lot of people, you know, we know about the river. It's gorgeous up there. But the south access off of Island View um, has some really nice skiing with um, pretty flat trails around on uh, the south side. Okay. And then there is Fern Lake. That's our furthest south trail system oh, yeah. that we have. Yep. Fern Lake is uh, relatively new, and it's got um, some challenging hills, but okay. uh, it's really fun to ski. And challenging enough, I haven't gone there yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's... um. I, yeah, I I think it's fun, um, but I do find myself snow plowing down some of the hills. So, uh, but yeah, we have the club rooms, and um, our residents have access to over a hundred kilometers of cross country ski trails. And I just want to remind people that unless they're on a multi use trail, and that if the trail is groomed, they're designated as ski trail only. So that means no dogs. Um, no walking, no snowshoeing. No, go ahead. Oh, um, and I know I've talked to a lot of people because getting out with their dogs, I've got two, and uh, it's a great thing to do in the winter. But the break that, you know, we have over almost 100K of ski trails. We have um, volunteer groomers who are out grooming as often as they can, but when you have dogs on the trail, that really breaks the trail down quicker, much quicker. And, uh, you know, we just don't have the grooming time and uh, volunteer base to be grooming every couple of days. So we really encourage people to follow those rules and support us, too, with those trails. They're a grant and aid system, which means when you purchase your ski pass, um, and those are $25 for an individual during the year. Um, that money comes back to the Bemidji Area Cross Country Ski Club to help support the grooming of those trails. Now, when you purchase your ski pass, does that give you, if you want to make an adventure and go someplace you haven't been before where there are trails, you can use you can use uh, the ski pass there as well? Yes. yes. As long as it's a grant aid trail. Okay. There, there might be some private trails. Um, I don't know about, uh, like Maple Log. Perhaps they charge a fee. I don't know that for sure. But I any state do, yeah. trail. Pardon me. Yeah, I believe uh, Maple Log has their own trail system pass. But any of the state parks around the state, you need the ski pass. There is a ten dollar daily pass you can purchase as well. Um, but the $25 will get you on any state park ski trail and all grant and aid ski trails across the state. Where can someone go to get all the information about where the trails are and how many there are and all of that type of information? That would be our club website, BemidjiCrossCountrySki.org, okay. for trail information. And then 
anything to do with the Grant Nade Ski Trail Pass, they can go to the DNR and they could just do a search for Ski Pass. And we also and have a link to the Ski Pass right off our club webpage. Okay. You're also, uh, Annette, mentioning there's a, there's an app out there that we might be able yeah. to use soon. Yeah, we were so excited to find this. Uh, those who follow our grooming, we've tried different things to update people and let them know, you know, when we've gotten a trail groomed. And we heard of this last year and just started looking at it this year. But the app is called SkiWise, S-K-I-W-I-S. And you can download it from the App Store. It's created by Spencer Pauly, a University of Minnesota Duluth computer science student who loves to ski. And it has, he's listed parks and places you can ski across Minnesota, into Wisconsin, some Michigan. He's trying to grow the app. It's free. And even skiers, if you download the app, you can post something about the trail you've been to. You can also look at another trail system and see whether or not it's been groomed lately if somebody else has posted it. It's still growing, so um, we're trying to get the word out for people to begin using it. Okay. There's a website that goes with that, and because it's difficult to find sometimes, (laughs) it's skiwise-app.com. Skiwise-app. Dot com. Correct. Got it. So, Murr, when uh, when anglers are getting ready to go fishing, you know, they make sure the rods and reels are working, they got all the tackle they need. If you're getting ready for hunting, you sight that gun and all that. What can uh, Nordic and, or cross-country skiers be doing right now uh, since they can't ski to be ready for when we get that big snowfall? Mm. Well, they could, if they have skis, they could get them down uh, from their, I keep mine up, so bring them down and and um, scrape them and put a little uh, generic wax on them and and find their boots and uh, kind of get their ducks in a row, so to speak. And if they don't, if people don't have skis, we do have a local ski shop that would be great to if people wanted to purchase skis if they could purchase locally. And um, they are, I think they're open now, and limited hours, and um, it's the home place, bike and ski shop, or ski shop, I guess now. And um, also, people could check out rentals at the Outdoor Program Center. Okay. At the BSU yep. campus. Yep. I know that home place opened on Wednesday through Saturday. They're open. I'm not sure about Sunday. Um, and it's usually like noon to six. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Um, Kev, the other thing that I think people who haven't been out walking and um, are thinking they're going to go cross-country skiing, it, it's not a bad idea to start doing some a little bit of walking with poles. And right now they could be walking on the ski trails with their poles just to kind of get their body used to it. And I did a lot of that in October, and then um, I haven't been doing as much now. But it's a good idea to up their activity level and and get ready for the aerobic part of cross-country skiing. That's, that's yeah, very good. Very good advice. Get your body used to it, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. I, have, I have one quick question for, for you. I, um, you know, for years I've heard it cross-country skiing. Now a high school calls it Nordic skiing when it's competitive. Is there a difference, or is that just a different name for it? I'll try. I'll take a stab at it, but um, Annette can correct me if I'm wrong. Nordic is a generic, a, a more general term, because it involves ski jumping and um, could be biathlon, and, uh, and cross-country is one type of Nordic skiing. That is new to me, so thank you for that. Uh, well, the other, yeah. Oh, can I add one thing to that? So I know when we've held Sunday Ski School, we get a lot of questions from parents saying, well, what kind of skis? And they hear about um, classic skiing, 
and skate skiing, when they go into mm-hmm. look at skis, they get asked, and oftentimes it's like, uh, I don't know. But there are two forms of cross-country skiing right now. Well, there's three, actually, with backcountry. But you have the classical format, which is skis parallel, and that's, you know, most of the trails we have around here have at least one classic trail um, parallel track on it. But then there's the newer uh, skate skiing, and Murr's much better about describing this one than I am. <laughs> oh, well, skate skiing is it's, it's very much like ice skating on hockey skates, and you're pushing off, and you're in a, your skis make a V, as your, uh, your tracks do as you go down the trail. And then we add our poles, so we're using our arms to propel ourselves as well. And they're different styles <laughs> and techniques in skate skiing as well. But now we're starting to get into the weeds too far, I think. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the one thing I want to make sure is people understand, because I see a lot of people pick up skis off of, like, Facebook Marketplace or, you know, at a garage sale, and they don't know there's two types. And I had a friend yeah. who skied for a full year classical on skate skis and couldn't figure out why she was having so much trouble. Um, so there are different ski types for the different types of skiing, just so people are aware of that. Okay. You know, um, Kev, as long as we're talking about skis for just a moment, I want to throw out uh, the importance of tr- trying to have a pair of skis that fits a person well and Annette's example is somewhat down that line, but you to be successful, you want to have something that fits your weight and your skill level pretty well. And um, so again, uh, you know, getting somebody to help you pick out a good pair of skis is a good idea instead of just picking something up at a garage sale and saying, "Oh, this will work." And it's more fun when you have good equipment, just like any sport. All right. Anything else before we wrap it up today? Yeah, I, I have yeah. one more. I want to make a plug for our club. I I live by the Mobile Maze, and I spend a lot of time out there. And I I meet a lot of people enjoying our trails. And I just want to point out that this ski club of ours is awesome. And I'm not on the board. I can say it as a, uh, a supporter of them. But... To be able to keep all of our trails open, you can't, you might be able to imagine all the blowdowns that we get throughout the summer. And the club is out there for hours opening up trails. And then I see people walking along and they, um, I'll say, you know, we're trail clearing next week. Oh, good. Yeah, you know, okay. come and help us. Um, but the, the club is all volunteer and they just do an awesome job of keeping the trails open all year long for bicyclists and hunters, walkers. And I just want to thank them for that. And if you see us groomer, thank them for keeping our trails groomed in the winter too. Very cool. All right. Yep. I wanted to encourage people, that, like Murr said, the trails are in great shape right now. And, and that is because the ski club has been out there with volunteers um, keeping them clean and um, keeping the mode for the season, you can become a member. We always encourage people. I am on uh, the Bemidji Area Cross Country Ski Board, so I encourage people to you know support us and support the skiing that we have, which is some of the best in the state here around Bemidji. A family membership for the ski club is fifty dollars, and an individual is twenty five dollars. And a membership form can be found on the website. You can simply download it, uh, print it off, and fill it out and send it in. Mer Gilman and Annette Drews talking cross-country skiing in the Cross-Country Ski Club. And hopefully down the road, some ski school activities uh, provided uh, the world settles down in 2021. Uh, Annette and Mer, thank you for your time today. We appreciate you taking the moments. Thank, thank you, you, and thanks and all. When we return, we check back in with the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager, John Williams, and get the latest on chronic wasting disease in Minnesota and Paul Bunyan Country. Plus, we'll find out some of the projects they have coming up. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. 
Well, we need to uh, discuss the uh, ever-present concern about chronic wasting disease. I mean, it hasn't been in our region yet, but has been relatively close a couple of times. What did we see this year? Seeing, uh, I think, so far in testing, there's been 11 positive, additional positive deer. Those are in the southeast, as I recall. There also is, uh, I think, one or two in that um, kind of south metro area there uh, as well. Um, so far, so good in the uh, uh, area north of uh, Brainerd, the 604 uh, testing area. You can see that on the deer map. I think there's been a number, a satisfactory number of deer taken uh, for testing in 604. So, so far, nothing positive that I'm that I've heard of, and I think that's very good news. Um, hopefully, we'll be done testing in that area with nothing found. Uh, you know, very within the next year or so. The southeast continues to be a concern. Um, this year, because <clears throat> we went to a voluntary uh, check-in uh, situ- uh, way of uh, having your deer tested through drop boxes and stuff like that, uh, largely due to COVID, um, we haven't gotten quite the number of deer to test that we would like to have had. But from what I'm hearing, we are getting uh, at least a sample well enough to give us a very good understanding of where we're at in terms of um, catching the prevalence of the disease in the areas where we've tested it and found it to be in the past. Again, if hunters are still out there, uh, we certainly want them to participate in that by dropping off ahead. We will have late season hunts in the southeast there again, I think starting um, just after Christmas and that weekend that follows. So uh, if people are going down for that, that's certainly an opportunity to get your deer tested like that that we would we would like to have the, 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 the notes to be able to do that with. Overall, Kevin, you know, um, it's not one of those situations that, you know, we've seen any state being able to eliminate it, but I think we are, Minnesota is leading in terms of putting the effort in to uh, contain it, to try to understand where it's at, uh, and to check and see if it's, uh, you know, spreading anywhere either. So I, I know that the um, the Douglas area where we had the one positive cervid farm, um, at least part of that area has they they had a different kind of testing uh, uh, scenario up for them. They were a pilot in a new area where a deer has a certain point value, if it's a buck or a doe or a fawn or, or whatever it might be. And those areas were given a certain points uh, to, to reach in terms of adequate testing. And I know that permit area 213 in particular reached its goal. That was a very good, um, it might be the, the highlight of the CWE testing system and another way of doing it. But... Um, Overall, it's still a major issue for us. It's our number one priority in wildlife to to watch and track this uh, disease, eliminate it where we can if possible. Um, it's ongoing. Okay. So, John, um, we were talking before we went on the air, you know, the frustration of, you know, in your case, still having to operate out of basically your homes, most of the uh, staff. What What is the big, um, what about that is the most frustrating part as far as the work you guys are trying to do? I would say just peer-to-peer conversations. You know, when we're in the office, we'll have that uh, water cooler talk, if you have it classified as that, as seeing, you know, um, uh, another person and ask them how their hunt went or how the fishing trip went or what particular issue you're working with today and and that camaraderie that that exists from that. So we miss those, uh, I guess, those informal uh, meetings with each other. Of course, we have the ability to communicate over the computer and Skype and Teams and whatnot else like that, but it's, it's not quite the same. We're doing okay, I think, from that standpoint, but I would say that a lot of us are getting house-itis, and <laughs> well, even a trip just to the grocery store these days feels like fun. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, so it, you know, it's just, it's just a, a lack of efficiency. It takes a lot longer to get things done, and we do have work that we consider priority work that is a that has exemptions for us to do over the COVID situation like that. And the exemptions I'm referring to are just the the fact that a particular work type, let's say it's forest management, is approved for us to actually do in the field. Um, You know, certain other work that's not approved, we simply don't do it. As we talked, you know, a, a lot of the field work that we have been doing in the field, because you can social distance, because it's outside, you know, our, our COVID restrictions are in place for travel, these types of things. We can still do many of those things uh, out in the field. So our field work isn't, I would say, grossly, grossly being impacted. But certainly that that uh, natural um, uh, work that you get from networking with staff 
in a you know face-to-face basis that's impacted uh, us quite a bit i would say we're getting our jobs done but like a lot of people uh it's just not as efficient as it as it was otherwise so what are the types of things uh, wildlife is working on here in the next few months well um this might be a very good year for brush shearing and the reason for that is if you look outside and look at the calendar it's <laughs> december 9th and there's hardly any snow outside <laughs> yeah that's so i know when i when i when i make that great journey outside from the house to the chicken coop the ground is just rock solid and you know the the uh, conditions we need for for brush work and brushlands and open open landscape uh, work that we do is ideal when we have frozen ground if we don't have that we can find, you know, situations where we can think a dozer in a marsh or the brush won't shear like it should and, and you turn up root wads and things like this. This could be an ideal uh, winter for that. And I'm expecting that we'll probably really take advantage of that and probably, um, hopefully, we'll get in the thousands of acres treated this year rather than maybe the hundreds that we've had in the past couple, I, I would think, for that. Forest management work, uh, timber harvest sales, um, timber harvest cruising, et cetera, all of that work is still ongoing. Uh, that's fairly significant work that we do. This is another time of year when <clears throat> we're looking at creating fire breaks for prescribed fire that we're using on the WMA lands and other state lands as well. There's a lot of work that our roving crews do uh, to develop fire breaks or uh, assist even with things such as uh, grazing, where uh, we may have a grazing lease on, on some land that uh, needs fencing or a water uh, a watering system constructed or something like that. So this is kind of that year that when you when you can do certain things that ground conditions uh, enable you to do that you couldn't do during the summer. And mm-hmm. because you're not doing the summer work, you can focus on a few things that really require some planning type work, like the fire breaks and, and some of those type of things. In addition to that, of course, all this stuff requires paperwork and planning, budgets, finance, all this type of stuff that has to be figured out too. And largely, folks like myself and, and others that are in uh, more supervisory roles, we have to work on planning for the fiscal year starting in FY21, or FY22, that is. And um, at any rate, that's that's kind of the long and short of what we're doing, Kevin, right now today, I would say. Are there any new big uh, projects coming up in the next year or two? Well, I would have to say I'm not aware of any right now that would be specific other than the normal progress that we have, let's say, with watershed districts or other mm-hmm. uh, planning efforts that we normally do. I think COVID has probably, uh, you know, with the state's budget situation that is, general mm-hmm. funding, you know, being diminished and whatnot else, we're all in that, we're all in that boat together. And it's it's probably kept things at status quo or else a little less than that, I would say. And so anything brand new coming on, it's um, I'm not seeing anything in the future that really is noteworthy as I can think of at this time. All right. Um, so as we probably talk for the last time in the year 2020, let's uh, just uh, forget about COVID for a little bit as, as best we can. What would you give uh, the Northwest region uh, wildlife-wise as a grade? As a grade? Yeah, if you were a teacher. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> is it an A? Is it a B? What's you know, that? I guess, I guess I'd give it a B, a B. I'd give it an A for effort, <laughs> but I'd have to give it, I'd have to give it a, a, a B or a C for average in terms of some of the things we're able to do. You know, we are, we are seeing, you know, funding situations where uh, uh, hiring, you know, replacing our staff vacancies is an issue right now. And, uh, some of the uh, some of the work we're doing is being impacted by that. It's not that we don't have the the willingness or the 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 desire and the drive to get things done in a in a pretty awesome way. It's just that there are there are just normal factors financially, economically, uh, even number of staff wise that that impact that. So, you know, I, I'd like to say that uh, we we would uh, like to see better things happening, but right now, you know, those are limitations to us uh, in terms of that. So. Uh, let's just say a, um, uh, a for effort and, and a B for what we're getting done here. Okay, I would say there's always going to be an A for effort simply because if you're if you go into this work, you have a passion for the outdoors. You have a passion for wildlife. If you're in fisheries, you have a passion for fish. I mean, this is something that that goes beyond a job for for pretty much everybody who works in in uh, 
natural resources. That's very true. You know, dedication is kind of a hallmark of of our employees, I would say, and I don't see that changing. You know, people get into this for one reason or another. They've they've either experienced hunting and fishing and want to make that part of their career, or they've uh, you know had some interest in environmental review, environmental protection, or or enforcement, or even we you know in terms of lands and minerals, um, the business function of of dealing in land management with terms of buying, selling land, um, easements, and things like that. This is all part of the DNR, and people are uh, people are dedicated to the mission, and they and they know that what we're doing today is going to make a difference for tomorrow. A lot of our work is simply making sure that what we enjoy today in forms of recreation and resources we have available are available for the next generation, and uh, that's where that dedication comes in. John William, you did ask. Yeah, you asked me earlier about the uh, what's new or something like that, and I just thought of something. I was yeah. thinking of it. You probably have heard that the the the, uh, uh, the wolf is supposedly going to be delisted, and I think on January fourth, um, the uh, the control of the wolf um, as a species will be given to the state. And if there's something new, that's probably it. We're actively working on updating our wolf management plan. We were actually in process of doing that before the announcement came out that the wolf was going to be delisted here. But uh, people um, might want to view the Internet, the DNR Internet, for what's going on with that. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion about the wolf plan and, of course, the management opportunities that uh, it will exist over that. So we're all in the process of that uh, starting off, and, and uh, uh, we'll see where that takes us as well. All right. John Williams is the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager uh, out of the Bemidji office here, uh, talking about everything going on in the outdoors, uh, in the woods, in the prairies, and uh, throughout the entire Northwest region. It was always great to have you on the show, John. Thanks for your insight today, and have yourself a very Merry Christmas. You do the same, Kevin, and wish that to all of our, our listeners as well. Home Onion Country Outdoors is sponsored by Clearbrook Electric, Timberline Sport and Convenience in Black Duck, Pepsi Nye Bottling of Bemidji, Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Safes, Ace on the Lake, and DS Beverages, your Anheuser-Busch distributor in Paul Bunyan Country. We'll do it all again next week. In the meantime, if you're looking for snowmobile and skiing weather, root for snow. And if you're looking to go ice fishing, just make sure that ice is thick. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 3. It was my first time traveling alone. Packed my car with hiking boots, a camera, and my dog, Randy. I don't know what I was searching for. Maybe it was something new, with adventure. Maybe it was the idea of vacation I would never expect, filled with wildlife, national parks, rivers. Whatever it was I set out to find, it was all there and more. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.